Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to Beyond the Gate Radio. Today is Sunday, June 5th, 2011. Thank you for joining us. Our show today is one hour in length. I am your host, David Baker, and my co-host is Sherelle Baker. Hello, Sherelle. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing fine, great on the Sunday morning here in Northern California. Thankfully, the rain has stopped, and I am excited to get to meet our guest today. So, how are you doing today, David? Very good. Wonderful. I don't have to take out the brolly because the rain because we're indoors or the umbrella. <laughs> on our, but we are going to have a fantastic show. Our show, on our show, is pretty much new age. We have psychics, mediums, uh, astrologers, healers, metaphysical teachers, demonologists, ghost investigators, cryptozoologists, uh, conspiracy theorists, UFOologists, and the like. I think that perhaps they're all interconnected in some way. Our show, we stay open-minded as we like to think outside the box. We do not judge anyone for their beliefs or belief system. We are here to educate and entertain you. We, as the presenters, are merely the purveyors of information. And I would like to tell everybody that we would like to take you beyond the gates to see what's going on in the world beyond our known world. And with that, we have a special guest today, and I mean a very special guest from the U.K., 
and he really doesn't need introduction because I'm sure that everybody listening knows who Nick Pope is. And I'm just going to read just a little bit about him. Uh, Nick is the author. He's an author, journalist, and a TV personality. Nick Pope worked for the British government for 21 years at the Ministry of Defense. In the course of his career, he served in a number of different posts, but is best known for work that he did between 1991 and 1994 when he was posted to a division where his duties included investigating reports of unidentified flying objects. The purpose of these investigations was to see whether anything reported might pose any threat to the defense of the United Kingdom or suggest the existence of anything that might be of more general defense interest. Most sightings turn out to be misidentifications of ordinary objects or phenomena, but a small percentage remained unexplained. Contrary to popular belief, there was no definitive evidence that any of these sightings were extraterrestrial in origin. However, the Ministry of Defense remained open-minded about the possibilities and took no position on the existence of extraterrestrial life. And Nick has been... Um, in the media, on TV, he's got a, a number of books published, including Open Skies, Closed Minds, Operation Thunderchild, The Uninvited, Operation Lightning Strike. And there's also some DVDs produced as well. Those are just a few. If you go onto Amazon.com, you can see them all. Right now on my desk, I have... A couple of books which I just pulled off my research shelf of his that I really enjoyed. One of them is The Uninvited. The other one is Open Skies, Closed Minds. Well, instead of listening to me rattle, let's bring on our guest, Nick Pope. Hello, Nick. How are you doing? And welcome to Beyond the Gate Radio. Thank you. I'm doing fine, and it's good to be on the show. Thank you so much, Nick. You know, there's, Thank you. you've been... Uh, in the public's eye for years now, uh, as well as Coast to Coast and the History Channel, and I can go on. So you're quite well known, and I can name on one hand the top people in the, in the world of ufology and other things that you do on one hand. Like I, I had no idea that you were looked into uh, ghosts on military bases and other types of things, and it's in your book, The Uninvited, for example, you have sections on where people have been abducted by who knows who, but some of the cases cannot really be explained other than what perhaps the person that reported what happened to him, you know, it could be that. We don't know, but I noticed that my interest was sparked in that because of the book Missing Time by Bud Hopkins years ago. And the reason I'm interested in this besides, you know, ghosts and spirits, because I'm a psychic medium and a teacher, is that when I was about seven years old, I was living in San Francisco, and on the radio they said that at the time they called the flying saucer was flying over a certain area, and there was a crowd of people watching. So it was in my area. I went outside and saw like 20 people looking in the sky. I ran to the corner, and I saw this silvery object just hovering there, probably about 500 feet up not knowing what it was, and I had 
many sightings since then, but that's what really sparked my interest because I was curious as to what it was. And I noticed that during your years as an investigator in the MOD, you must have uh, looked through a lot of information, and I'm sure the great majority of it was just, you know, common things like uh, a balloon or some type of weather phenomena or something like that, but there's a small percentage that could not be explained. So what do you, what do you think about those uh, small amount of reports that just couldn't be explained? What is your take on that, Nick? Well, those are certainly the ones that they're obviously self-evidently of interest. I think one of the big problems with the UFO phenomenon, but with perhaps the paranormal and other mysteries more general, is the huge problem of, of the signal-to-noise ratio. And if we could find a way to quickly weed out the UFO cases that are either clearly something pretty mundane or, or completely bogus, I mean, in terms of it being a hoax or, or something like that, then, then I think we could quickly zero in on these, these more interesting ones. But to answer your question, I, the honest answer is I don't know. Unknown means unknown. And in a sense, you know, I always liken UFO investigations to, for example, police investigations. Until, and I mean, if, if you have an unsolved murder, for example, um, you can draw an analogy between that and an unsolved UFO case. In other words, if you eliminate 95% of sightings and say that they're misidentifications of something perfectly ordinary, um, the ones that are left, you know what they aren't. You know, they're not weather balloons, they're not meteorites, uh, they're not satellites, right. but you don't know what they are. Un unknown right. means unknown. So, again, it's this police analogy, and um, until and unless some new piece of information comes to light, the case will just sit there unsolved, whether it's a, a murder in a police file or a UFO sighting. That makes a lot of sense. First of all, for any explanation uh, to be presented, you need uh, reliable sources that can be trusted, and you definitely need proof for something like that. And whether the United States government or the government of the UK, whatever they may know, I'm sure that if they knew the answer, they may or may not have stated it, but I'm sure that they wouldn't want to state anything that could not be, you know, definitively proved. And as far as people doing the investigations to UFOs, you know, they really do have to be pleased because you don't know who's out there doing it, what reliability or experience they have, and if they're going by 100% facts that they have investigated or not. But the thing is, there's a lot of strange things going on in the world. And yes, there is something unusual in the skies. And yes, people have experiences, but what they are or who they are, what's going on, we really don't know. I suppose that's why the investigations are ongoing. Doesn't that make yes. sense? Yes, absolutely. And I, I think there are two other important issues. Uh, you, you mentioned investigators. I think that's important. Sometimes we can focus so much on the phenomenon uh, or, or phenomena, if you believe, as I do, that there are probably a number of different things, overlapping things going on. But um, 
you focus so much on UFOs that you actually forget to, to take a look at the investigators, and that's actually quite important for two reasons. Firstly, some investigators, self-evidently, like back to the example of police officers, some, some police officers are going to be better investigators than others. Uh, some UFO researchers True. are going to be better than others. So, and True. the other issue, of course, is that some of them um, go into an investigation in what I think it's fair to say is a conclusion-led approach. In other words, some believers will go in almost hoping and wanting that what they're investigating is going to turn out to be extraterrestrial. Skeptics will go in with an almost zero percent expectation of finding anything odd at all. And both those approaches right. are completely wrong because they're putting the answer before the question. Uh, a truly yes. dispassionate investigator should say, well, look, you know, whatever my beliefs are, I'm going to set them aside and I'm going to go where the data take me. That's one issue. The second issue, of course, is the question of what resources the particular individual or group has available to them. Now, I was incredibly fortunate when I was doing my investigations, whether it was UFO sightings, alien abductions, crop circles, ghosts on military bases, whatever. I had effectively the whole resources of the Ministry of Defense behind me. So I could literally lift the telephone and say to Air Force colleagues, we've had a fascinating sighting, uh, please pull the radar tapes and, and let's see uh, what we've got. Well, I don't think there's an equivalent in the civilian UFO community where, where they would be able to do that. So I was incredibly fortunate. Uh, if, if I had a photo or video, again, I could phone up various scientific and technical intelligence analysts, the sorts of people that get, for example, satellite images analyzed and enhanced, and I could tap into that whole area of expertise. So again, when you look at, at the investigators, you've got to ask yourself, one, are, are they bringing their own beliefs to the table when actually they should be leaving them behind? Uh, and two, do they have the tools to do the job? And sadly, in many cases, the answer is no. That makes a great deal of sense. And even seasoned investigators that are very knowledgeable, sometimes they can't help but tainting a certain case they should be totally professional, walk in case with a blank mind and seeing to see what's going on here without thinking about anything. You know, put it on the peripheral or get it out of your mind and look into it like a police officer. What happened here? What's going on? If you do that, it would be, uh, the information would be untainted. And additionally, we do know the hardware exists because it's been filmed and witnessed by credible people. So we do know that there is some type of craft machine or something there, but trying to get to uh, the information as to who is operating these things is like you see something, some footprints in the snow, and you want to find out who this person is. So you follow the footprints out to open field in the snow, footprints stop, and then there's nothing. Like, where did they go? So that's kind of like, I think how we are like who is who is operating these things. I'm sure the government doesn't know, otherwise they wouldn't have been concerned. You know, I don't think anybody really knows because they're the uh, intelligence behind these uh, vehicles are very elusive. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, and by the way, in, in case any listeners are thinking that I'm, I'm, I'm somehow claiming that government has a monopoly on good investigation, I, I should say I've, I've seen plenty looking through the archive of Ministry of Defence files. I've seen plenty of Ministry of Defence investigations that have been totally mishandled. No way claiming that, that government doesn't make mistakes in all of this it, itself. But uh, yes, I, I think whatever we're dealing with is certainly worthy of study. It's certainly elusive. I, mean, I think, it, you know, again, it's, it's easy to forget that the United States Air Force, for example, Project Blue Book, under that name and, and of course, the previous ones, looked at this issue for over 20 years with no real resolution. The British government's UFO project ran for even longer. Now, if, if governments and, and military all over the world, and of course many, many other countries have, have looked at this, study this, but, but it's, whatever it is, it's still so elusive that there's no definitive answer. It shows actually it, it's a very difficult subject. And, and of course, unlike I think, conventional science, where you get something in a laboratory and you analyze it, you're actually dealing here, largely speaking, unless you are lucky enough to have something like a photo or a video, you're just dealing with testimony. So it's a very difficult area of study. It's very difficult to bring to bear on it the normal tools of scientific investigation. That, that totally does make uh, a lot of sense, and I, I must say I agree on it. Now, talking about different um, cases, I wanted to ask you about Roswell, but I didn't want to ask you about the actual case itself because, you know, Randall, Nick Redfern, Stanton Friedman, and others have you know, beat that to death, the actual case itself. I just wanted to ask you a question on another ex-government official from the United States, uh, Colonel Philip J. Corso. Uh, retired. He wrote the book the day after Roswell, and I read that book, and the information in there sounded exciting, but I really don't know which way to go on that. Uh, I would say, personally, I'm a skeptic on the material in the book myself, even though it does seem like it would be wonderful if that was the truth, but we really don't know. What, what do you feel about that, if you're familiar with the case? Yes, I never had the privilege of of meeting the colonel. I think uh, we we just missed each other at a couple of conferences. Uh, he clearly is who he said he was. There's, I don't think any dispute about that. But I have to say, probably on balance, I'm sceptical about his more exotic claims. And I think rather than go into my own reasons, I um. Uh, if, if I might be allowed to sort of uh, plug somebody else's book, but Colonel John Alexander, um, his, his book UFOs, published a couple of months back, contains, I think, at the end, an appendix of, uh, and I haven't got it in front of me, but several dozen problems that he, as a um, long-standing member of, of the U.S. Army, has with Colonel Horso's testament in terms of things that just don't make sense um, when, when you come to look at how government 
and the military and the intelligence community works. And if you, my point is this, and I think, you know, I don't want to speak for, for John Santana, but I'm sure it's his too, is if you get something like that, whether by accident or design, if you get fundamental points about the way in which government works wrong, when you're actually in government or, or work, um, then you certainly, I, I, I think, more exotic claims should be taken um, very, very cautiously. If, if you get the basics wrong, you know, just about how the system works, um, then then your your exotic claims must be even more um, doubtful. I totally believe that. I was in the military myself, and during parts of my career, I worked with nuclear weapons, and I went from secret to top secret clearance, and I've been probably closer to nuclear weapons than most people I know. And there's, you know, I can say the security there is amazing, and I can imagine how it is today. But being in the military, being through different adventures and things, and I've known people to tell uh, stories, and I don't mean breaking uh, top secret information or anything like that, but just in general, how the story gets embellished where it's mostly true, but there's some embellishments in there to really puff it up. And in the book, The Day After Roswell, if some information was left out of that book, it would sound more credible, but there's extra things in there which kind of led me to believe that, you know, I really don't know. It sounds like a, a pipe dream to me. You know, I almost was convinced, but I wasn't. Yeah, I, I'm pretty skeptical of that, and um, I'm, I'm sure you're right that it's probably not worth spending time going into Roswell. There, there are, as you say, researchers who've covered it in far more depth than me. I mean, in a couple of sentences, I can probably give you my, my take on it, though, for what it's worth. Clearly something crashed. What is interesting is that this story came not from... Um, members of the public, not from researchers, not from journalists, but the story was actually given out to the media by the U.S. military itself, uh, which is, uh, I think, one of the more interesting points about the, the the story that people often forget. But I think the other point to mention, and again, sometimes people don't see the wood for the trees here. Um, this was 1947, and it was a totally different world, and. Uh, back to this analogy of police again and, and crimes. If you don't solve a crime within 24 hours, 48 tops, the chances of getting a successful resolution diminish rapidly. We're not going to solve Roswell well over 60 years after the event. You know, unless there is some smoking gun in a uh, hangar somewhere and somebody comes forward and says, oh, actually, this is what crashed at Roswell. Here it is. Um, we had it in, in this hangar and now we found it. Unless that happens, you know, documents, eyewitness testimony, affidavits, um, you know, it's not going to count for anything. We're not going to solve it, ever. Yeah, I believe it's, it's just too late now. But if I may ask you something uh, that, to me, that's very intriguing, and I just wanted your take on it. And I read this in two different, uh, I think one was a, a magazine article and one was a book, and I'm not sure if I read it. I apologize. In one of your books, 
or Timothy Goods Above Top Secret or another book. I have so many books here because I'm always reading and researching. But it has to do with a particular case maybe a, a decade or so more ago, perhaps in uh, the U.K., at one of the, I believe it was one of the MLD installations. And the article stated that in one of the buildings, very secure building, there was a security person doing his rounds at in the middle of the night, maybe 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm not sure. And he was walking on the floor with some very secure rooms and noticed a light shining through the bottom of the door so the security uh, guard entered the room and saw some type of being there, humanoid type being with kind of like a light around it, looking at something, and then this um, unidentified person vanished, and he went to look, and apparently there were some top secret documents that were being pilfered or looked at. And... Um, I just don't know what to think about that, you know. I really don't know. Do you have – what's your opinion on something like that? Well, I'm I'm actually struggling to recollect, and I have read Timothy Good's books, but maybe, maybe not maybe not in, in enough detail. I can't actually, I'm afraid, from that description that you've just given, recollect the particular incident. Um, now, I should know about – something like that if it took place at a UK military base, but I'm afraid for the life of me, I, I'm not quite sure what uh, what that's a reference to. I mean, there have been plenty of UFO sightings at numerous UK military bases. There have been plenty of ghost sightings. Um, there, there have even been, and this, this was quite an amusing story told to me by a Ministry of Defence security guard, at ghost sightings seen by the security guards on their patrol um, of Ministry of Defence main building itself. Um, but quite what the story you were referring to uh, is, I'm afraid, I'm not sure. That's quite all right. Now, in the uh, Ministry, uh, Ministry of Defence building, I believe it was taken over by the government around uh, 1916 or something like that. And it used to be a hotel or something former. And I understand that they uh, have cited a ghost of a chambermaid there. Uh, am I correct on that or close? You are, yes. Um, in, in fact, um, up until fairly recently, there were several Ministry of Defense main building, uh, main, main Ministry of Defense buildings in uh, the centre of London in, in Whitehall. Uh, main building is the headquarters building, but there's old war office building, metropole building, and many of these uh, were indeed, as you say, um, former hotels, and, and metropole building is the one that you're referring to, I think, uh, because the Ministry of Defence, or the war office, as it then was, took over the old hotel metropole, I think, in, in the First World War. And, and yes, indeed, there is a rather sad story about a chambermaid who was apparently murdered there and the body was uh, hidden in a, a wardrobe and uh, ghost uh, supposedly of her has been apparently seen many times over the years. What's interesting about a lot of these ghost stories, of course, is they come from arguably the toughest and most no-nonsense people of all, the security guards, the Ministry of Defence police. Uh, it, it's people, it tends to be people... Uh, patrolling late at night uh, and I remember on one occasion a few years ago 
the Ministry of Defence's in-house magazine, Focus, ran a letter from a Ministry of Defence police officer who told an extraordinary ghost story uh, that had happened in an Air Force base, that he'd personally witnessed this elderly woman um, around the church. And um, he'd done his rounds, and then when he got round to the other side of the church and the woman had gone, uh, he thought that she must have gone into the church, but the door was locked, apparently, from um, the outside. Um, later on, and he, he couldn't work out for the life of him where this, this elderly woman could have got to in, in the sort of few seconds, really, 30 seconds or so, that he'd uh, walked around the church. Uh, when he told the local mortician about this, uh, the mortician apparently... <laughs> went very white very suddenly and said from the description that that he'd given, uh, this was a lady who'd in fact died the previous day. So, wow. The editor, well, the editor took the courageous decision to run this letter in the Ministry of Defence's own uh, in-house magazine. And at the end of the letter, which, as I say, was from this fairly tough, no-nonsense Ministry of Defence police officer, uh, the editor said, um, open invitation to anyone else. Uh, did anyone else have any stories like this? And he was absolutely inundated with ghost stories, um, many of them going back to the Second World War, the First World War, even the Civil War. Um, you know, so there's some extraordinary stories, absolutely extraordinary. That is, I'm, I have hundreds of books on my uh, research shelf about ghosts and whatnot, and I'm being a, a psychic medium myself, of course, and running in the family through various members and then grandparents. I, my mother's from uh, Kent in England. My father was Native American and Spanish, so my mother would tell us as a child uh, stories about ghosts in England, about a ghost train and different things, and she actually believed, and I think that early on, as a child, she would tell me these stories before I'd go to sleep. I wasn't afraid. I was really intrigued by them. And I think that really sparked my uh, initial interest in it, besides seeing them actually myself. So I think that since your country is a lot older than ours, as far as it being civilized, that there's bound to have been, you know, a lot of incidents there that would leave something like that, like from the Romans to the Celtics and on and on to, you know, the wars that were over there to present-day time. I find that to be amazing. And not only people, but animals. Apparently, on a particular military installation over there, there's a, a ghost of a dog that's yes. being seen. I find mm -hmm. that interesting, too. It's a very famous case, actually. Of course, the famous uh, Dambusters raid. Uh, and I think, interestingly, I, I believe that uh, filmmaker Peter Jackson is remaking uh, the classic war movie, The Dan Busters, but this is 617 Squadron, the, the classic um, bouncing bomb raid in the Second World War. And Wing Commander Guy Gibson, who actually led that raid, um, had, had a dog. Um, and that dog, very shortly before the, the raid, was knocked down by a car and killed just outside the gates of RAF Scampton, where 617 Squadron was based at the time. The ghost of that dog has been seen many, many times in, in, in 
area around the, the gate, the entrance to the base uh, where, where it was knocked down and killed. Um, and and that's, that's a fascinating story. But I've, I've certainly come across other stories of animal ghosts. Um, um, remember one case from Devon involving children who were saying they were laughing as if they had some great secret and they, they said that um, when they were quiz, they said, well, there's a cow in the room. There's been a cow in the room. And uh, what the children didn't know, but the adults did, is that the kitchen was actually a fairly modern building on the farm but was actually in, on the site of the old cow shed. So who knows? But there are some fascinating stories doing around. There certainly is. And as many people as you've met and many things that you have investigated and many uh, conventions and things, I'm sure you've met all types of interesting people. And so when you are looking into certain things, perhaps UFO investigations, for example, and then maybe possible, um, I don't know if I should, I'll say alien because that means it's alien to us. It could doesn't have to be, it could be from another dimension, somewhere on Earth, who knows where, but that could this be paranormal, interdimensional, uh, we really don't understand, and then it gets you to look toward, you know, the supernatural, what's going on there. Um, I'm sure, I know that some governments perhaps investigated the paranormal. I know we had the remote viewers in the United States uh, because they found out Russia had psychic spies and so forth. So, you know, they had it and it was an operation for so many years, there has to be something to that. So after you open one door, it seems to lead to another door. So Yes, and, and the Ministry yeah. of Defense, of course, had it and uh, conducted its own study into remote viewing. Interestingly, very shortly after 9-11, and um, this was a study sponsored by the Defense Intelligence staff, which is, as you would imagine, a particularly secretive part of the Ministry of Defense. But fortunately, the study report has now been declassified and released. So if you uh, just go to whatever search engine you use and type in remote viewing and Ministry of Defense, you will most likely turn up this declassified report, which I know that people like Hal Puthoff and Paul Smith have looked at with horror in terms of the um, methodology because it was totally mishandled. But it's, it's interesting for two reasons. Firstly, that it happened at all so long after uh, U.S. projects like Stargate and Grill Flame and Sunstreak. Uh, but it's also interesting because if you look at the classification, at the time it was secret UK eyes only, uh, which, which is fairly high, needless to say. So I, I think that is interesting in showing that comparatively recently, notwithstanding stories about obviously Soviet research into parapsychology in the 50s and 60s, but comparatively recently, the British government was dabbling with this. And I think one, one, reason, one reason for all of this is, is that you could regard things like remote viewing and indeed UFOs as events which, while you might consider that it's quite unlikely, if any of it does turn out to be true, the implications are profound, and this is what in 
business and in risk management is, is generally called low probability, high impact. And I think it's interesting to look at government and military research into the paranormal as perhaps a good example of something that's that's low probability, high impact. That's amazing. Uh, and it's new to me, fresh information, because I'm so busy looking at everything, trying to stay up to date that I just can't catch everything. And I had no idea about what you just told me uh, had occurred. And I, I'll say I'm, I'm not totally surprised, but I, I'm amazed. But, and I'm also not surprised that you know, the British government waited that long to try something that themselves. Uh, but oh, I suspect I, I suspect that it had been tried before. Uh, I sus- and, and I do you too. Know, you could do a whole yeah. You, you could do a whole show on somewhat shadowy links between the British aristocracy, um, certain elements of the British military and intelligence community, and dabbling with the occult. I, I think that's. That's always been there. So certainly the the study into remote viewing that was done in 2000, 2001, um, it, it's not by any means um, the, the first time that this sort of thing's been done. And, they, and, you they, know, were that, uh, they were saying that... They were just saying that they had sorry, that on uh, the news just recently. And uh, they had it on the news just recently. Not the news, but one of the... Uh, Discovery Channel slash History Channels, and they were talking about all the techniques and things that that Hitler used, and one of them was remote remote viewing. And so, just like you said, Nick, that you know, low you know, low probability, you know. So I'm sure that everyone has tried to test it out, and then if nothing comes of it, they can just say, oh, that they were crazy. But if if something came of it or if we're able to use it, you know, then it becomes this cover-up and, oh, oh, you know, it's just something that they were doing. But, of course, I I do believe that that this is not the first time that they've tried it and used it. No, indeed. I think the only question is that if that was the study that was done, um, have there ever been operational remote viewing campaigns um, projects in, in the UK, as there were in the US with, for example, the three projects I mentioned. I think, I suspect the answer is this, and it's very interesting to look at that particular document on the Ministry of Defence's website, because what you actually find is that this was not undertaken within government, but through a defence contract. In other words, the defence intelligence staff met a contract and the work was done by uh, the private sector. Now, albeit almost certainly a, country, uh, a company with fairly strong links to the military, both in terms of ongoing projects and probably in terms of people on the board who, who had come from the military. Um, and and people, people in those sorts of companies, by the way, often have security clearances much higher than even those of us in government. But... Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting way. Conducting something in the private sector is an interesting way of taking the vast bulk of it outside the scope of the Freedom of Information Act. So it may well be that operational remote viewing programs actually rest in the private sector. That's amazing that she should have, uh, that Sherelle mentioned that uh, because. 
talking about governments now. You know, we know the um, Nazi government of the past is gone. They were evil. We all know that. But I've read that they have searched for the spirit of destiny, that they used astrologers, and they used actually everything that they could at their disposal, or at least they risked trying ways to get an edge on everybody, and they really did look into the paranormal, and it made me wonder, I guess, other governments probably quietly look into different aspects of the paranormal as well to see if they can get an edge up, if any of this stuff is credible or if it works. And just like you mentioned about the remote viewing, apparently there is something to that. So, you know, naturally to keep an edge up on anybody, they definitely have to keep it quiet and and also credibility. So I totally understand that. And and just let me make another point, which I think is quite interesting about the remote viewing project that MOD sponsored is when when you look at it on the Ministry of Defense website, um, there's a very bland introduction when you have to publish this as a result of the Freedom of Information Act request. It's a little introduction and it said something like, uh, a while ago we became interested in the concept of what might what people might be able to see and and we conducted a small study into this. And and what's very telling is that to avoid drawing attention to this, even though legally they had to publish it, uh, they deliberately avoided using words like psychic, uh, like clairvoyancy, like ESP. And you, you could read that introduction, and unless you knew what remote viewing was, you wouldn't think it was anything to do with the paranormal at all. It would sound like a, a mundane academic project to, to do with, I don't know, awareness or sight or something. But of course it's not. And it's a very, I mentioned that because it's an interesting example of media management, as, as it were, where, where you hide something in plain sight. That, that makes total sense. And especially knowing that um, in your country they used to have the Witchcraft Act of 1735 up until uh, World War II. Helen Duncan, a well-known medium, held seances for people, and apparently uh, the war office, you know, whatever happened, the news, after they uh, would disseminate the news, you know, read reports, they would only release filtered information to the public, which is understandable, especially during times of war. But apparently Helen Duncan got a spirit of a, a sailor from a certain battleship that had died, and you know they had no idea, no news from the ship, and it was proven that to one of the sitters in the audience that that was her son, and messages were passed. They were verified and reliable. And, yes, uh, this is uh, HMS Barham, the battleship. Um, I believe it was torpedoed in the Mediterranean. I'm not sure, but it, yes, it was HMS Barham, and and I believe that uh, Helen Duncan was was arrested and investigated. Yes, and naturally, if somebody was privy to some information like that during those critical times, that, you know, in a way you can't blame the government for wanting to put her away until things are finished, because uh, if there were some German spies there and she was to say something that the British government didn't want to know and innocently said it, you know, I suppose they couldn't take any chances, but that's just another example of the uh, paranormal crossing the path of the government and something occurring. I thought that was amazing as well. Yes, indeed. 
And I want to tell everybody that uh, Nick's website is www.nickpope.net. That's nickpope.net. Nick, um, the show, we don't have a lot more time left, and we appreciate the chatter. I just wanted to read something from uh, your book, Open Skies, Closed Minds. And in there, near the beginning, there's a quote, and I find it quite interesting. And I remember it says, Yet across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and um, unsympathetic regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. H.G. Wells, Wells, The War of the Worlds by uh, William Heinerman. And I thought that was very interesting. But so there is something going on in our skies, in our universe, in our galaxy. We don't know, but one thing I'm almost certain of, that whatever it is, since we're still obviously alive and breathing, that perhaps there is, as UK say, nothing of any uh, defense significance to worry about. Yes. Uh, I mean, obviously, science fiction novels like The War of the Worlds are absolute classics, and people have, over many, many years, speculated what extraterrestrials might be like, uh, what their motivations might be if they ever visited Earth. Um, We probably don't have time to get into this, but there are some articles on my website, uh, for example, about the Royal Society, which last year held two discussion meetings to uh, talk about the search for extraterrestrial life, whether it be through radio astronomy, through uh, the search for extrasolar planets, or, or whatever form it takes, but far more interestingly the concept of well, what happens if we find it Um, what will be the societal consequences, will there be panic in the street Um, what will the effect be on religion, etc etc, and I think it's interesting, and of course we've just had programs like I think uh, National Geographic did When Aliens Attack and I was on that show if I certainly remember being interviewed Yes, I I remember it too. Yeah, and I think you know that's all well and good, and we can have fun with something like that. Um, Obviously, science fiction movies often revolve around alien invasion, but of course, the idea of good aliens, bad aliens, um, evil aliens coming to enslave the Earth or destroy it, um, good aliens coming here to auger us into some new age or higher plane of consciousness. All of this is very anthropocentric, really, in terms of uh, you know, what we're really talking about when we talk about good aliens and bad aliens. It's, it's us. It's just our own perception. Of course, something genuinely extraterrestrial uh, may almost, by definition, beyond, be beyond recognition and, and trying to fathom things like motives and, and, and things. You know, all we can ever do is apply our own logic and experience and I suspect we'll be wildly wrong on all counts. Yes, it's probably way beyond our perception. And you know, in ancient ancient aliens, uh, the other series on the History Channel, which we were watching it again recently and we saw you on there of course and it was always amazing. But, you know, civilizations from around the world I suppose people are putting together uh hydroglyphs and other information that they have found that they're starting to open their minds toward thinking, well, did the ancients 
see something? Where did they get the information to build these great pyramids at that we perhaps can't take these days? Uh, some amazing discoveries. And then, which brings me to, you know, is there civil, was there a rifle on Mars or was there a base there or on the moon? I read a book called Who Built the Moon by Christopher Knight, and he says that perhaps the moon could be an artificial satellite and there may or may not be some intelligences on the moon. And I know that when the astronauts went to the moon, they didn't report that they really saw anything. And some people say, well, they did, but it was top secret, and they sprayed it out of the photos. And some people say, no, our government would definitely not cover up an exciting discovery like that. Do you have any feelings on the moon in any particular direction? No, I, I don't have a particular... I, I certainly don't buy into to some of the more exotic theories about the, the moon in terms of uh, artificial or, or alien bases or things. And, and, yeah, absolutely. I suspect that if NASA found alien life, they'd be shouting it from the rooftops, not covering it up, because, of course, their budget would go through the roof. One only has to look at the Martian meteorite incident from 1996 when NASA declared that they'd found evidence they believed of um, extraterrestrial life, albeit uh, fossilized bacterial life. But I mean, the, the point about all that is that much of the rest of the scientific community was rather more skeptical and thought NASA had jumped the gun. So when those um, enthusiasts sort of imply that NASA are aware of some extraterrestrial intelligence or, or life and are covering it up. I mean, in fact, nothing could be further from the truth. If anything, NASA are too keen to shout alien when, when actually it isn't. Um, and, and as I say, when you look at what's happening to NASA's budget at the moment, um, if they find aliens, that would be the best thing for them. And and you can absolutely bet that they'd tell everyone. Yes, it, it just doesn't make sense that if there really was something there why would they say anything about it? I mean, the world's not going to end. If, if they did find something, I think that people are open-minded enough now. And if they said, oh, yes, there is a moon base or something, or if there's uh, ruins there, or we have discovered extraterrestrials, everybody would probably, most people would probably say, yeah, we knew it, you know, so what else is new? You know what I mean? Exactly. And this is precisely the sort of discussion that took place at the Royal Society. Um, idea, ideas of panic in the streets if people say there's alien life are, are just not really commensurate with the facts. Um, and, but look at the opinion polls. Opinion polls consistently show that over 50% of people believe that there's life out there in the universe. Um, pardon me, over 70% believe that. Around about 50% believe that some of that life is it's visiting us, and and the government knows more than it says. And you know, you don't you don't shock anyone by telling them something they already believe. <laughs> so right. the point is, if if the government turned around and said, "Hey, guess what, people? Uh, we're not alone," uh, an awful lot of people would say, "Yep, thought so." <laughs> but just like you said, Nick, they, it's like panic. They don't want panic in the street. But, you know, instead of you guys, uh, instead of us thinking it globally, let's bring it down and then re-expand it. So let's bring it down to, like, if we were parents. So we're parents, and and 
the children shouldn't know, oh, let's not let the children watch too much violence on TV because they'll do this and they'll do that, and let's not let the children do this and that. And so now let's bring it back up to goal. Okay, so now yeah. we're the government. Let's not let the children watch. Let's not let the children see aliens until we desensitize them by giving them little snippets of news and then the media for 50 years, and then all of a sudden here comes an alien walking down the street. Oh, it's an alien. Okay, no big deal. Let's all continue to go to dinner or whatever. So that's kind of how I, they're trying to desensitize us from that. But then, like you said, now 70% believe. So now what's the big deal about revealing everything else? Why does everything still has to be blacked out with a marker, even though, you know, we look at um, – the you know top secret documents and half of the information is blocked out with black markers and we can't really read who said what and who authorized what. It's still a cover up. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and here's another interesting point. I just perhaps going back to on my earlier point. I mean, self-evidently, if you had a War of the Worlds type invasion scenario, yes, there would be panic in the streets. But short of that, no, I don't think there would be. There's certainly no evidence to suggest, and, and if there was an announcement of some sort. Here's an interesting point. Uh, people in the UFO community often get uh, obsessed with this idea that one day the president will go onto TV and say, you know, my fellow Americans, people of the world, we are not alone. Uh, we have conclusive proof of extraterrestrial life. You know, now, that's the UFO community's fantasy, as it were, what they haven't taken into account, being conspiracy theorists themselves, is that if that announcement was ever made, large parts of the community, not them maybe, but other parts of the community, wouldn't believe it. So you've got a very interesting situation there, I think, that few people have, have thought through. That makes sense, because people have said the government has lied before, so what? why should it be any different? And that type of announcement would be like the president saying, oh, I talked to President Lincoln's ghost last night. I mean, you know, you might read about it in the article that it was mentioned, but he wouldn't make a pronouncement like that. Indeed, and, and one, one, I guess, um, other point on, on that is going right back to say to something like Roswell. Uh, there would be no problem with any president saying, uh, we found alien life. What there would be a problem with um, would be, be a president coming forward and saying we've got some proof of extraterrestrial life and by the way we've had it since 1947 um, which means that every successive um, administration has lied to you about this now that might be a constitutional problem although in fact of course with things like the Manhattan Project there are precedents and good examples of, of things where you for very good reasons don't tell people things so who knows? But I throw that in as an interesting piece of speculation. No problem saying there's aliens. There is a problem saying there's aliens and we've known about it for over 60 years. You're totally correct on that. They have to be careful of, of what, how they speak, of course. And, you know, there's a saying there are more things in heaven than earth ratio, and I believe that. If people would realize just how vast our universe really is, you know, through images from the Hubble telescope, for example, and now in science with quantum physics and them thinking that perhaps there could be other dimensions. You know, there's so many uh, new discoveries. There's so much going on that 
we couldn't possibly know half of what's really out there anyway. And I don't think we really ever will. Much, much of what is going on in the unknown or beyond the gate, as I like to say, will always perhaps remain a mystery. Sure. Yes, and uh, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think life would be pretty boring if we had an answer for absolutely everything. Mysteries are quite fun. That's true. That's right. I um, know that if I had gained something easily, like I won the lottery, for example, and was rich, then I'd say, the next thing I'd be doing is, well, what's the purpose of life? I'm bored. But to not be rich, but to try to work toward that goal keeps you know keeps life interesting and i think that's really <laughs> amazing so i don't think we should have all the uh questions answered I, I like the mystery myself and with that nick we're nearing the end of the show so this is your platform sir could you tell us about anything coming up that you have going on anything you'd like to tell us all well i'm engaged in a fairly broad range of activities much of it television related at the moment both in terms of contributing to other shows on History Channel, Discovery, National Geographic, and in terms of um, helping uh, create ideas for new shows. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm involved with, with a whole range of stuff, and as and when any of this comes to fruition, I generally try and post something in the latest news section of, of my nickpoke.net website. That's wonderful, and we'll definitely be uh, watching for that and watching you on. I have on my website one of the videos and the interview that, you know, posted. And every time I watch somebody question you or interview you, I notice that you're you're straightforward. You just tell it how it is. You don't hold any punches, and you don't make any, uh, you know, innocuous statements or anything. In other words, you're on solid ground at all times, and what you say makes sense, especially earlier when you were talking to us about why would the government not say this or how would they approach it or how did uh, your government make the announcement about the uh, remote viewing program and how it was worded. And, you know, I think we all have to be really careful about how we present things, especially something that we really don't have an answer for that's only speculation. So that, that makes a great deal of sense, and the investigations continue, the mystery continues, and I think that's a, a wonderful part of life. Yes, I, I think um, just very briefly on that point about my own approach, I always try to differentiate between what I think and what I know, and I think that's, that's very important for someone in this field, but it doesn't always happen, I've noticed. I noticed that, but I know that you won't, if you don't know it as fact, then you won't, will not say it as so. And that's why uh, we love you so much because, you know, you're upfront and honest and you won't make any wild speculations. And, you know, your your statements are always uh, based on documented proof. And, and that's why we like you so much. We need to have more people out there like that that not make statements as to, well, it's 99% sure, so I'm going to tell you this. If it's not 100% sure, I don't know. We're looking into it. And so... <laughs> Keep yeah. up the great work, Nick. Thank you. I'm, Definitely and, yeah, keep up the I great work. For someone who says, I don't know. Are you looking for somebody who says that what? Yeah, I, I said, it's when you, when you look at somebody, very often, the more of an expert they are, if you look at people in government and the military, the more they actually, when they get onto something they don't know, they just say, I don't know. 
whereas some other people will go off and start pontificating and speculating. But I always look for people who say, you know what, I don't know. And that makes a great deal of sense. I'm going to mention that I'm about to retire from my uh, full-time job as a uh, law enforcement deputy sheriff in a couple of weeks here and doing investigations myself. You know, it really is about the facts. Otherwise, it won't hold up in court. So that does make a great deal of sense. Sure. Well, Nick, we have seconds left in the show. I want to thank you so much for being on. You've been a great guest. Yes. And thank you for sharing with us today. Sure thing. Thank you. It's been good to be on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you very thank you. much, Nick. Thank you. Have a Bye. wonderful day. All right. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, everybody, that was uh, Nick Pope on Beyond the Gate Radio. What a fantastic guest he was. And we like Nick because he's very knowledgeable, experienced, sincere, open-minded, yet he will only tell you the facts, and the facts only. And that's another thing, another reason why we love him. Look for him at www.nickpope.net and watch the shows, all the shows he's on on TV. Stay up to date with it. And he's also... Recently, we've seen him on Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. So I want to say thank you once again for listening to Beyond the Gate Radio. I am your host, David M. Baker, and my wife, Sherelle, is a co-host. Sherelle? Thank you. Hi. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Um, And if you have any questions about um, Nick Pope, just go ahead and check his website, nickpope.net. And um, he has a wealth of information there, and it was great to have him as a guest today. And um, there was a lot of things that he touched on, too, David, that uh, were right there at the top of my list of things to talk about. And um, I also... uh, didn't get a chance this time, but maybe next time to ask him about crop circles. That's one of my. That's another one of my favorite subjects to talk about. So, uh, just looking forward to um, reading more information about that and just seeing what else we have on Beyond the Gate Radio. That's a very good. Yes, we did not get to that, uh, but crop circles really do open up other doors, and I think it's amazing. Of course, they've been hoaxed, but as you well know, there's books out on them and there's documentaries as well that some of them appear so fast in so many places around the world that are so large and so complex that you would think nobody could possibly have the budget or the imagination to do something like that, especially with the crop circles have been scientifically investigated and found anomalies in those crop circles that are different than the rest of the soil and crops outside the circle. So, yes, we definitely have to bring him back for and ask him about that or bring another guest on that knows about crop circles. So, anyway, today was a great show. Thank you, everybody, uh, very much for listening. If you like the show, please uh, follow us on our website here at Blog Talk Radio, Beyond the Gate Radio. Click the follow and become one of our followers, listeners. The show will be archived. And once again, thank you, everybody, for listening to Beyond the Gate Radio. Have a great week. Bye now. Thank you. Bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.